and it is definitely a day for reflection. It's not so much a day for getting out and digging around, but boy, what a day for looking at it. It's beautiful. It's just lovely. It is. I love this kind of day, you know. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's like a soft caress. It is, and you know. And being out in it is a pleasure. Mm -hmm. You need the right gear. Just don't mind getting wet. Well, there is that. I don't wear. I guess the right gear is under your clothes, isn't it? You can't get wet through your skin. Right. Exactly. I know so many of those old-time people I see here never wear a raincoat. I don't wear a raincoat. They just get wet. Mm-hmm. And well, now they, they make all this tech, techy clothing that j- dries off in a half hour. You go inside, you know. I just do that. Lightweight, uh-huh. all that heavy rain gear. I mean, I can understand it if you're on a boat or something, but if, if you're going to work, it's hard to work in rain gear. Unless, unless, you're doing, unless you have the kind of rain gear that's so big and loose around you that you can swing your shoulders still and heavy. move your shovel. Oh, yeah, but, you know. Because yeah, all the nylon stuff still leaks. All those seams leak. Mine has. I, I go back <laughs> to the rubber ones. I still wear the big orange rubber construction Yeah, but you're not gear. working. Like, <laughs> you're walking around. Pointing, pointing. Pointing and talking. Pointing with your cane. There you but go. Anyway. Look at that. This Look is a fine that. day. Look at that. And there's a lot going on in Juneau. Okay. Landscape Alaska is closed today. It's way too wet to come see us at the nursery. And with all the racing going on, we're closed tomorrow, too, because the race is going on right around where we are. So think of us when you're enjoying the, uh, the pounding of feet and the running of bicycles. Landscape Alaska is closed. And we're looking at the movement of the landscape in the air. So uh, there's a lot of things to talk about this time of year. A lot of changes coming along. A lot We're really of going into fall. Doesn't it feel like early fall oh, to you? So much. Yeah. So well, much. You know. And not just the colors. I mean, the, the colors are showing. The, the wetlands changing color. And the Japanese maples are beginning to show color. And boy, aren't those azalea bushes something else. They're changing color. They are so pretty. Spireas. It takes them a long time to turn, too. They start getting rosy before they get really, really dark red. They're very pretty. They are. And the hydrangeas are blooming everywhere in town. I drive down Main Street in Douglas, and I look at those hydrangea trees in front of that that one home. I look Mm -hmm. at them every day, kind of gauge the weather by how, how far along the hydrangea trees are going. Well, and the Roseanne geraniums, they're in full bloom. They will bloom going until to, it going freezes. Going to town, you know. Yeah. And having things that take care of themselves at this time of year and don't turn brown is a true gift. The really? other things that are really good are a stilby and lilies are great. And bee balm is all just getting ready to burst into flower. And um, the dwarf daylily. I've become a big fan of the Stella de Oro Dwarf Daylily. It's a great plant. It's really a great plant. And it won it won awards all over the world when it came out, you know, we, maybe 20 years ago. We, it was such a phenomenon. You know, for me, since so much of my work is in doing maintenance for other people and a lot of commercial jobs, the Stella de Oro grows so densely that... It squeezes out the weeds. Well, I'd rather look at a daylily in its form, whether it's in flower or not, although it does bloom continuously starting in June till October. Uh, 
It's a beautiful plant. Dense, spiky, completely different than a lot of other things that grow in our garden and our landscape. So it always attracts attention. It does. And there's, there's, uh, there's two real dramatic different ways to use it. And one is as an isolated icon where it stands out in another kind of landscape around shrubs and other kinds of perennials or using it as a ground cover where you plant it Well, that's how I've used it as a ground cover Mm -hmm. because all the places I take care of are so darn weedy. (laughs) Anything I can do to beat out grasses in a buttercup. Right. Diminish those babies by overplanting them. Mm -hmm. You know, there is that. People think that, that, okay, I can just, I can stay on top of the weeding. But really. You want to plant it. You want to plant it out. You want to plant it out. Right. Erase it. Don't, don't give them the opportunity to be there. That's right. Take it away. Both shading it out, hiding it, and like you do with the daylilies, choking it out. Choking it out. Yes, really. Mm-hmm. And you think about it also in terms of, of uh, kind of evolution. Think about it in terms of, of uh, long time distances being compressed. You can move from the stage of pioneer plants, where it's all those we consider weeds, to a climax plantation like something like a daylily ground cover. You know, and something, a stilby is great for that. And lilies are really great. You know, a lily, you plant a lily this year, and in five years you have 10 lilies. You know, they're multiplying underground. So they do a great job. I was on Riverside Drive yesterday, and there's a lily planting on that street that is just in full bloom right now in the midst of the heavy rain and the bright yellows and the bright oranges and they're about 24 to 30 inches tall and they're standing and they're Asiatics. Upright. Oh, Asiatic lilies and they look so strong. The stems are bigger than my thumbs where it comes up. <laughs> you know, <coughs> when I built that bed for Ginger at the back of her, her uh, lawn above the Treadwell Trail, there was a lily bulb in that soil that came from the nursery. And that one bulb produces like six, 60 flowers. Oh, 60. Yeah. 60 flowers on one stem. And it's chest high to me. <laughs> it's, it's not chest high, but it is big and strong and beautiful. And, you know, the flowers are the size of my hand. They're and not, fragrant. It, very, very nice. Yep. Lilies are a good, good crop for us here. They like this kind of weather. Of course, they, they're pretty tough. They like pretty much anything. But, you know, going into fall, the garden really changes because of the weather. All the rain, the wind, the moisture in the air. It goes from the springtime, let's look at all the flowers and the colors, to things that are much more textural. And the shape and form of the garden changes. And one of the elements I think that is really successful also as an element in the garden, whether it's in flower or not, are the big pseudochorus irises. The irises are just so tough, and they're, you know, they're three and a half feet tall, and they're great big blades that are pointy, and they flow with the wind, and they don't get bugs, and, you know, you don't have to worry about any diseases or fungus, and they like water. And, and you certainly don't have to worry about them coming back next year. No, and they're tough. A pseudochorus iris is different than the Siberian iris or the wild iris or the bearded iris in that it's both a wetland kind of a plant 
and the size it gets. It, it gets really big. is a big one. Yeah, and it's really great. It's really great as an element, you know, in the shrub border. It changes things from being round to being pointy and uh, has a completely different type of movement when the wind blows than a shrub does. That brings up that other topic, that element in the landscape of movement. Yeah. You know, and, and things have a whole different language when you start looking at the movement of the plants. Yeah, my Japanese maples. They are probably are, the nicest. They're just doing, going to town. It's like they're having to waltz out there. Dancing it around. makes you think of someone taking a sheet and flipping it and flipping it and flipping it the way the whole branches and leaves come up and down up and down kind of humpa bumpa humpa bumpa well i don't know about that but that's the, <laughs> that's the way you look at it to me they they uh first they're swinging to the right then they swing to the left and they come back to the right and they bow down and they stand up i love all that and yesterday was great for that yeah there's so many different wind Patterns. The garden responded to that so lovely. Okay, so this is a call-in show, and I'm sure a lot of people out there are really, really busy, but if you have any questions, please give us a call at... 907-586-1800. Eh, how about that? Rattle it off like I've been here before. <laughs> okay, call us up. Invite us over to come look at your garden. But not today. Not today. <laughs> We're not doing nothing today. Oh, I'm working, but I'm working okay. at home. So I had the project last week where we had to uh, cut and clear and prune and dig and rake and clean out all these, uh, mostly alder, but cottonwood, but alder growing as thick as dog hair. Just one right after another after another. And so we bought two. another still saw. That's right, and another little battery-powered still chainsaw went into action. We called Tyler Reddle up and said, you got another one? Yep, went and picked that up with another battery and a couple of chains. You know, it. it it not just doubles the work output, it quadruples it because two people cutting mean that two people then are carrying, you know, and it just load those trucks up and get that stuff out of there. It was a huge amount of material to take care of, and they're such a pleasant tool. I'm talking about a chainsaw that fits in a holster on your hip. I know. A chainsaw that you hold like a like an electric mixer. It's no bigger than that, and, uh, and so, so powerful, and what a, what a nice little sound. Yep. No and motor it was, sound. Just and it's nice to be in business with Tyler. Oh, always a delight. Delight to call him up and say, you got one of these? <laughs> yeah. Can I get one? Yeah. Thanks a lot, Tyler. We always appreciate doing business with you. So, and talking about, about uh, pruning and cutting things down, I had people ask me this month about pruning lilacs. Now, this isn't the month. This is not the time to prune your lilacs. They're setting their flowers for next year. Right. You prune so, them now, you're going to lose your flower buds. So you want to prune your your lilacs when they're in bloom. That's right. And, we've, and, and they're gone now. They're not blooming now. Prune, prune them when they're in bloom, and then the new growth comes right after that, and they'll set flower buds. Prune them now, you're going to lose your blooms. So... Don't do it now. But this is a good time to fertilize. Get, so, getting ready for winter, feed, feeding up and putting the stores of starch together in all your shrubs and trees. This, all this water, it's the time to really lay it on there. Yeah, this is a good time to do it and uh, do it before the end of the month because uh, you, know, you don't want to encourage late growth in the plant material. Mm -hmm. You want to encourage health and, and vigor, but not soft growth at the end of the season. Right. Or we'll lose it. And, and be sure to feed your rhododendrons because they, they're kind of like 
a big hog out there. That's They'd right. like to eat. They love to eat. And now they're ready for another meal. Uh-huh. We fed them once before, before July, the end of June, from uh, the end of May to the end of June. That's the first time of fertilizing them. And then we do it again this time of year. And make sure it's something that's got all the micronutrients in it, too. Copper, cobalt, molybdenum, boron, all those molybdenum. things. Molybdenum. Molybdenum. I love that. Yep, I love it, too. And... Uh, you were talking about things that are blooming this time of year. One of my favorites are the hostas, and they're sending up their flower stalks now. I know that we grow them mostly for the leaf, but boy, it's such a lovely flower, too. You know, I have never been respectful of hostas enough, you know, really and truly. I think it's a failure on my part because I have seen such incredible hostas this year that it's made me change my mind completely about them. And it doesn't have anything to do with the flower. It really has everything to do with the leaf and how big they get and the kind of textures they have and the types of colors those leaves have and, and putting them all together in contrast with one another. They're really, really amazing. They really are. And, and when you look at the plants you buy, in the nursery or at they the... They just look, the they're so little. Stuff. They're so little. That's right. They don't give you any idea what a stunningly beautiful plant it becomes after 10 years. Well, you know, even a we couple years... We were working years at our friend's house up in Mountainside Estate, and there are hostas there that are easily... They're more than three feet across. They're they big. Great big colorful leaves on them. And when they start to bloom, they've got 12 or 15 And they're so stalks. fragrant. And speaking of fragrant, we have a specially fragrant one that's coming into bloom right now. What's so it fragrant, it's, What's it even, called? It's, it's called Fragrant Blue. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. And it's, again, an award winner from Great Britain. It's a, a silvery gray blue, and it's going to be one of those three feet across kind of uh, plants. Well, let's plant some. You got it. In our yard with oh, all those buttercups. That's right. Let it eat those <laughs> buttercups up. Nothing like that. So it's also time to start thinking about the bulb planting. Yes, fall's coming. Fall's coming. So uh, you've got to think back to bulb flowering time and think about what are the most pleasing arrangements and, and combinations and what are the, what's the sequence you like. Personally, I'm a crocus lover. Well, who did that? Who taught you to love crocuses? Mm, Some pretty girl. So the thing about crocus, you plant them once, you have them forever. The thing about tulips, maybe you can get two years out of them. You know, Mary Elizabeth used to plant her tulips. Well, she had tulips, she said, for like 18 years. And she planted them underneath her big spruce trees where they stay dry. And that's what tulips really like. They like dry. They come from the steppes, right? in uh, mid-eastern Europe. And um, so here, often you only get one bloom time out. Last year, uh, gingers came back, which was surprising because I couldn't plant them for her last fall. Um, Not as densely as the first year, but, you know, tulips are not always successful here, I guess is my point, but people love them. So um, and it, and they're and if you pretty can, cheap, you know. If you, you can get plant, such color. If you can put them underneath the eave, plant them someplace where it's a little <coughs> bit drier, rather than just out in the garden edge. To me, because I I only want to plant them once. 
I don't want to plant them every year. <laughs> well, you get a chance to change your patterns and use new I don't colors wanna. and use new shapes and use new forms and get new sequence. But the but the crocus, they're a toughie. They are. They are a toughie, and once you plant them, you always have them. It's so interesting to dig them up after a couple of years and look at what's happened to the corm and how it how it grows and shapes. It gets big. It not only gets big, but a new corm forms on top of the old corm. Right. So when you dig them up, you get this little chain of, of old decayed corms at the bottom with the new vigorous fat corm on top of it. Now, how, how did it ever originate that? It's a wild thing. They all are, aren't they? Uh-huh. And, you know, I planted the uh, Capitol building in only gold colors but I know a lot of other people love the blue and they like the white and they like the mixed colors which is fine but I find you know I'm always going for a big paintbrush I, I want simple but intense effect in the landscape and the gold ones with the kind of light we have here really shine and they bloom you know starting in March downtown Six weeks. and they bloom well part of the buildings in the sun and parts in the shade so it's ah. a kind of a progression of of uh, blooming that happens. But if you're interested in ordering straight colors, they're hard to find and you need to order them. You can order them through us. But normally you buy them at the grocery store as mix. Or at the, or through the uh, various kinds of public groups that sell them to. Mm-hmm. Well, right. Well, I'm just saying uh-huh. if you just... But, but rarely do you get a chance to buy, you know, 500 gold ones. Or blue ones or white ones right. or whatever. And... Uh, I buy them by the thousand. That's right, you do. But, <laughs> but we go straight from the growers and, and buy them in uh, commercial quantities rather than in little packages. It makes a world of difference. Yes, Plus, but if somebody out there would like to have that same access, we could certainly pass it on to them. Sure, no problem. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, and it's the time of year to speak up for that if you want to, because we're placing our orders now for the fall. And we were talking about... Uh, irises and the movement in the landscape and one of the prettiest irises we've ever had were those clumps of white siberian irises i think called butter and cream or cream and butter or something like that it's, it's a white one with a little yellow center in it uh-huh they're beautiful uh-huh i haven't planted at wells fargo they're probably the same ones they probably came from the same clump years and years and years ago i've been taking care of it for a long time mm-hmm. i don't you know we have we have lines of perennials that we have continued to divide year after year after year after year and, and used in the commercial landscapes. And that's one of them. It's really a nice one. And another one that you use like Caesar's that. Caesar's brother is the b- dark blue one. The dark blue one. I was thinking of Pride of London. That's another one you use in your commercial landscape. You just keep taking parts of this one and plant it and that one and parts of this one and plant it right. and that one. Well, I love that. It's a, it's a really, really successful, hardy perennial plant that, that is... Uh, it has all those little fairy flowers. That's right. It has a beautiful flower crop, has a lovely leaf color. And, and from my point of view, the nicest thing about it is you never lose them. They always grow, and they get so thick they choke out the weeds. You're right. And you know, the ones that I have planted as ground cover at Wells Fargo just get dumped with snow on them. 
and you think they're never coming back because they get all burnt and everything but they come from the the root and just grow all new leaves and are beautiful and shiny and the dead things fall away and it just looks great pride of london's a saxifrage so it has that same kind of little saxifrage flower but it comes on the flower comes on a long willowy stem the plant makes looks like uh, kind of seashells growing flat on the ground with a variegated leaf. But then the flowers come up out of it and they're on little wispy stems. Look like they could hardly stand anything, but they take every bit of climate and the wind and the rain and the intermittent snow in the springtime. They're a real winner, a real tough winner. And let's talk a little bit about roses. The roses, you know, going into the fall and they have those big hips, oh, those rose man. hips. They just look so beautiful. Don't they? Uh-huh. And the leaves are beginning to change color. Right. And the, the size of the hips are so big this year, they're weighing the branches down. Have, you, have we ever been able to get Dagmar? Rogosa? Frau Dagmar Holstrup? Uh, uh, uh-huh. Yes, we did. It was a pale pink. Uh, we planted it for, I don't know, 10 years or so. Because that's a real beauty. It's in people's yards around town. Hello, Conversations. Yes, I uh, germinated some white Sitka rose seeds, and they're about four or five inches high and under grow lights. Do they need to have like a winter rest period, or can I just keep them under the grow light all winter? You can certainly keep them under the grow light all winter if you want and get the uh, the maximum growth to them. Uh, roses bloom on new growth, and they bloom in response to the change of day length. So you could keep them growing a couple of years under grow lights and get them to be pretty good sized and then change the day length and put them into flowering mode. Great, thank you. You betcha. Talk to you Bye. later. That and sounds like fun. Doesn't it though? You know, there's nothing like a Ragosa rose. It's just such a toughy. And so fragrant. <laughs> so incredibly fragrant. You think of, of how many how many thousands of years people have taken rose fragrance out of the rose petals and used that as their favorite ointment, their favorite dressing how they put it in their hair and rub it on your skin yeah well you know even candies they even make make rose flavored candy and ice cream uh i grew up playing in the rose garden in portland you know my friends and i we'd play football we'd run between the rows of roses hide and seek you know we'd go at night we'd be in there the daytime not disturbing the roses it was just a fun a great place, place a great place to mm-hmm. be and um i've always loved roses and then you see that scene like the rose garden and it makes you think of how devoted a group of people are to a particular kind of plant that they're going to have because that's a test garden those you know. roses came from England. Originally, it was because of World War II when the Germans were bombing London and in English soil that the some rose growers in England knew someone in Portland, Oregon, and Portland, Oregon said, send me your roses that you want us to save and we will keep them for you till the war is over. And so that's how that garden got started. That's even better. You know, I and love so, that. And then they were able to propagate them and send them back to England when this is all before you can't have soil from other places and all that stuff that we have now uh, and they send it back to them. So that's how the Rose Garden started in Portland, Oregon. That's a great story. Thank you. Yes. I have no idea. Makes me and like that's it why it's called more. the City of Roses. You know the story of the Peace Rose. 
No, it was, I don't it know was about French. that. It was a, a bred by the famous rose-growing family in France, and I they love it. sent it away when France fell. They sent it t- to the U.S. and uh, and we have it for a world thing that wasn't owned by the invading army, because the invading army was taking everything, and they just didn't want them to get this. Well, the peace rose is one of my absolute favorites, and I have it growing at the house in Portland. Absolutely, it's absolutely beautiful. So we were talking this morning as we came into work about the subtle beauty in the changing season, the form and shape and movement. Mm-hmm. It really switches. Uh-huh. And the garden, the garden, the bigger elements take over once the rains come really heavily. There are those perennials that, like we've been talking about, the astilbes, the lilies, the rosan geranium, the daylilies, <coughs> all of those stand up to it still can take it but the real beauty of the second layer of beauty in the garden is the form and shape of the trees the shrubs and things that have movement in them Mm -hmm. and now now is that time Mm -hmm. and it's not just in the our domestic landscape but out there in the bigger background landscape that the world is it's really there you know and the and the fields of color and the shapes of the large pieces of color. I always love the wetlands. Yep. You know, then they're going into their blonde stage. They really are. And coming <laughs> through them today with all the birds and the edge of the surf, the edge of the, the high tide there and the birds in it and the grasses moving around behind them. It was so cool. Absolutely so cool. So we're going to go back home today and do a little uh, investigating, do some planning, and work on a couple projects today. If you want to contact us, don't hesitate. It. You can send us an email, landscapealaska at gmail, and we'd be glad to respond to you. If you're interested in getting some particular materials, for, for we're going to have another shipment this fall of things for our, for our projects. So if you're looking for things, don't hesitate to send us a wish list. And... Uh, we'll be open again next week. Open on Tuesday. Is our show over? Not quite, but a oh, few no. more minutes. We got okay. five minutes here. So it's still a call. It's still a call-in show, so you can always call us in. Uh, call that's in nine zero seven five eight six one eight hundred. There's time for a few more calls if you want one. So the idea of growing white rugosa rose seedlings. Pretty sweet. You don't know whether they're going to be white or not. Why? Well, because it's a seedling. Oh, you mean so a seedling can be... Any color. And, you know, it could be red, it could be pink, it could be white. Those are the three main kinds of rugosa roses. But you might find something else. You might have one of those that's a color break that has red and white on the same flower. Once you go through the seed chains, all those doors open up. Well, we have a bunch of rugosas. Why don't we start some? Great. This year we'll get the hips... Take the hips. Do the same thing with the primroses, you know. You never know what's coming. And those uh, Florinde primroses with those huge seed clusters that are all ripening right now, mm-hmm. of course, don't pick them today. <laughs> you know, you got to let them dry back out on the plant before you pick them. And let them fully mature. Right, let them fully mature. And also, I saw people talking about blue poppy seeds and wondering what to do with them. And, you know, plant them out in the fall. Don't pick them and save them. Plant them out now and let them go through the winter. Well, you know? yes. Um, depending on how wet it gets, even though the poppy likes to. Hello. Hello. 
Um, you talked about feeding your rotaries with uh, fertilizer with all kinds of nutrients. Right. What kind would that be? Uh, come see me. I, I have a commercial kind that I'd be glad to share with you. Okay, thanks. Okay, you bet. It's hard to find a, a, a fertilizer that has all the micronutrients in it. Right. And as much as it rains here, a lot of that stuff just gets washed away. Right. We order ours special for our gardens and for the clients that we have. Um, the commercial fertilizers that you buy in the store mean well. It's just that our soils are too cold for them to really be fully active. And a liquid feed happens faster, but it doesn't hang around. And the granular uh, material uh, isn't always activated because the soil needs to be warmer than 45 degrees. And there are some kinds of of time-release fertilizers that are specifically designed for cold soils. And that's what we carry. That's right. And we get that because... Uh, it's they a don't real package them in ten pound bags. You know, they just package them in fifty, 50 pounds. Pound bags. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, come see me. I'll share some with you. Anyway, we're going to talk about uh, we'll be gone next week and the week after. Next week is the salmon derby, so we're not on the air. The following weekend, Margaret and I will be out of town. Twenty seventh, right? So we're going to a wedding. We're going to a lovely wedding. But I wanted to talk about the seed pods on the poppies. Okay, I got one minute. Okay. okay. Go ahead. Well, let, try to let it stay as long as possible to mature on the plant as you can. If the weather gets really wet, cut them, hang them upside down in a paper bag so that when they open and drop their seed, they go into the paper bag and it stays dry in some warm spot. Then once you have those seeds in the paper bag, you can take them outside and sprinkle them around and they like gravel walkways the best. They do. They seem to grow best in the gravel walkway next to where you got the clumps going. Yep. Okay, this is Margaret and Dave from Landscape Alaska. We'll see you in a couple weeks. And uh, remember... Happy gardening!